0: morning. Uh Uh-oh, we didn't learn from David's. Good morning. There we go. I was blessed by the song service this morning. Some that stood out to me were, Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Do we ponder anew what God can do each day? Do we really think about what he can do in us and through us um, as we dwell and meditate upon him? <clears throat> also, uh, song number eight, Together We Seek Thee, uh, touched on my topic today. <clears throat> Lord, how can we praise Thee enough for Thy love in sending this Savior from heaven above, <clears throat> when by faith each poor sinner becomes God's own heir? Together as equals, salvation we share. I'm going to speak on faith today, um, listening to some messages and about just the gospel and one of them had to do on faith and it spoke to me, so that's um, where I'll be today. But I also thought, considering uh, the message last Sunday and Elvin being in Tennessee, I thought it'd be good if we could all rise and have a little time of prayer. If three or four brothers want to pray, especially, well, for our service, that God would meet with us, but also that He would be in that gathering there and that the speaker's there. in heaven, we thank you for sending your son to redeem us, to uh, pay our penalty on the cross for shedding his blood that we might have remission of sins, and I pray as we uh, meet today that you would be here, your spirit would be upon us, and we would hear your still small voice speaking to uh, our hearts. pray you would... further your kingdom and your word as it goes forth, pray also for uh, Brother Alvin as he's preaching today and throughout the week that you would strengthen him, protect him from the enemy and uh, just give him a peace and a calm and a rest that, um, that he is in your hands and um, give him unction and also help him to uh, clearly articulate uh, the message you have laid on his heart. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> I've titled my message Faith Alone. <clears throat> um, but I'd like to start in Genesis three and look at. The fall and the gospel presented in Genesis, I guess, for a little bit here. And then we'll go to Romans and Hebrews a little bit. So, Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. I think a common question when you look at this the first part of, or the first couple chapters of Genesis, and you see the command not to eat the forbidden fruit. Um, it's common to ask why, why such a, why did God put the tree there, or um, why was that commandment given? Why just the one tree? What was the purpose, and why would God give such a command? I'm not going to go into the that whole side of it, but. I believe one of the reasons was um, we see earlier that Adam communed with God and had a relationship with God, and I believe ultimately it was um, because the view of uh, I'm trying to get my thoughts here, I'm trying to articulate them. Ultimately, our view of God is proven on whether we believe Him. And one of the things that Adam and Eve had here was a choice on whether they would believe God. It says when the serpent was talking to Eve, her reply was, uh, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So they had a choice there whether to believe God and what he said. Um, God had said it, but... Can I say they hadn't experienced it? So they had to take God at his word, but they had a relationship with God. And so uh, tying that into faith here, the reason faith is so very important is because it is a proclamation of our belief or our doubt in what God says about himself. When we have faith in God, we're we're having faith in It's having faith in him and believing what he says and doing what he says. So God gave us, God gives us all a simple command like we see here. He says to obey him. He is, uh, in Genesis, he says not to eat from the tree. But the real issue for us is do we believe God in what he says? We see that Adam and Eve did, did not believe God and doubted his character. They didn't believe God was who he said he was. Because if they believed God was who he said he was, then they would believe what he said was true, and that when they eat of it, they will die. So they lacked faith to believe God, I guess you could say. One example, kind of touching on the character side, is Um, I have a good friend back out in Washington and him and I did a lot of things together and uh, just, uh, I guess you could say, we trusted each other a lot. Um, I trust his character. If he came in right now and asked me for my keys for my car, I'd give him my keys. I wouldn't doubt his character of what he was going to do. I probably wouldn't even ask him what he was going to do with the card. would be like, okay, probably just needs to move it. Just give him, his, give him my keys. That is a simple example of knowing somebody's character. I know I've spent time with him. I know who he is, per se, and I trust him with the keys. And I know if he says something, he'll do it. Um, In the times we're living in right now with all the upheaval and political upheaval and coronavirus and all those different things, um, many are asking, uh, What is God doing? And they're questioning why things are going the way they are or things like that. Um, Oh, sorry, I wanted to read first. 23 and 24 also of Genesis 3. Um, I'm not sure where I should do that now because I forgot it earlier. Um, anyway, so the, the it's almost like some people are asking God or telling God, I can't have peace unless I know what you're doing. Um, and I think that's a demonstration of the lack of faith on our part, um, and also a lack of knowledge of God. Um, we know God's character; He's revealed to that revealed that to us in the Bible, and He's shown us who He is, and He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, so when we tell God, "I can't have peace unless I know what You're doing," that's not having faith, because. We know his character. We do not need to know what he's doing because we know whatever he is doing is right. <clears throat> People are searching, searching it seems, and uh, looking for prophecies and all kinds of things and trying to figure out the uh how to get direction, what, what they think God is doing. Um, but what I think we should really be looking at is the attributes of God and studying the character of God um, because knowing who he is gives us rest and trust in him. <clears throat> I might uh, read Genesis 3, 23 and 24 now. So this is after the fall, after they've eaten the fruit, and it says, Therefore the Lord sent him forth from the garden of eden to till the ground from whence he was taken so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life we look at these verses back in 1 through 7 um we don't see adam and eve can i say committing some heinous sin they didn't commit murder or adultery or sacrifice to idols or uh, anything like that they simply ate a piece of fruit that struck me as i was reading it it was just a simple piece of fruit and what was the result it says so he drove the man out he he drove the man out and he placed a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life So after one sin of eating fruit, man is driven from the presence of God. And a cherubim established at the entrance indicates he can't come back. That way is forever, uh, can I say, um, cut off. Now if Adam was driven out of the garden for eating one piece of fruit, where does that put you and I? how many times have you and I sinned? It was a reality that struck me. They had, can I say, a moment of unbelief or doubting God, and it had eternal consequences for all of mankind. So what does all this have to do with faith alone? Well, if it's not faith alone based upon the work of another on your behalf there is no hope so if man was driven from the garden for one sin and shut out from the presence of God how do you and I expect uh, to return to God by our own works when just one sin is enough to make works void if one simple sin of eating a piece of fruit has made can I say all the works of Adam void And uh, driven him from the presence of God out of the garden. What are we to do? Our works are nothing. If you go back to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, If every tree of of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die it's almost like Adam was under a covenant of works I don't know if that would be the right term or not um, we see the Lord gives a very clear commandment and it's of works he's not to eat of the tree of good and evil and we see that if he disobeys it will lead to physical and spiritual death if he obeys, he will remain in fellowship with God now we're all born of born of Adam, and like him, we've all broken the covenant of sin, so we all have a problem if we've broken the covenant of works, which we all have and no righteousness of our own and have no righteousness of our own, but not only that we are also but not only that, we're also under the penalties of having broken the covenant. And the penalty was death. <clears throat> Going back to chapter 3, verse 15, is the promise of the gospel in Genesis. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. For us to be saved, the covenant of works must be fulfilled, and our penalty must be paid. And it's only through our older brother Jesus that we can be saved. I am saved by his substitution, who did for me what I cannot do. One, he lived a perfect life under the covenant of works that I could not live. And that solves half the problem. Not only was I a lawbreaker, but I was under the penalty. I needed Christ to live for me, but I also needed his substitution to pay my penalty. I needed a substitute to pay my penalty. And so the second point, the other half of that is he died for me under the penalties that I had broken. So he paid one, he lived a perfect life and then for me, and then two, he died for me to pay my penalty. And he has done a perfect work. And that perfect work becomes ours. How? By faith in Jesus Christ and through faith alone. <clears throat> now I'd like to turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 uh, through 28. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay but by the law of faith. Therefore, we we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. We're justified by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ. By, uh... So it says... We're counted righteous... Uh... By our faith in Jesus Christ, and it says we are justified. Uh, where is that? There? We are justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus alone. And, through, oh, and then later it says, through faith in his blood. So that's his atonement, or his atoning sacrifice, and paying his penalty, or our penalty on the cross. Also in this uh, chapter 3 of Romans and then also chapter 3 of Genesis, um, it gives the picture of uh, by works we're cast out because we don't measure up, but by faith uh, in the gospel we are saved. So when we're talking to somebody about salvation through faith alone, we can Appeal to the law and point to the verses that point out sin, but first to have faith, I think we need to point to the character of God. Since God is totally holy and totally righteous, one sin, uh, one sin and one sin alone is enough to break that fellowship with God and man. And no amount of works can bring salvation because God is totally righteous and totally just and one sin alone is enough to alienate us from him and it's only through the perfect work of God and through faith in that perfect work of his son Christ Jesus that we can have access to him I heard a quote uh, by somebody that says there's only one hero in this story And that's Jesus Christ. And Jonah says, salvation is of the Lord. God has bought it. God has orchestrated it that we can have access to him. Now I'd like to look at a verse in Psalms 130, verse 3. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? So if we take this verse um, in light of what we are reading in Genesis chapter 3, um, we know what the answer is to this question. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, who shall stand? <clears throat> it only takes one sin. And yet we have more sins than we even can I say know ourselves and our only hope is in Christ. Man entertains the thoughts that they can be saved by their own works because if they don't know who God is they think God is like them. I heard uh, one guy use this example. He's telling a fictitious story or whatever, you know, there's a a crime boss of some big uh, organized crime or something and he gets caught by the police and he's totally calm. He's not worried. He's acting just nonchalant and they arrest him and they put him in prison and he still has no, seemed to have no fear and he doesn't seem to phase him at all. And well, what they don't know is he's bought off the judge. So if he's bought off the judge, he doesn't have anything to fear. But he's totally uh, unfazed, they lead him into the courtroom, and then all of a sudden he realizes they've changed the judge. What do you think the terror would be in him if he saw a true and righteous judge sitting to judge him for what he's done, and the one he thought he was going to be judged, someone like him, just as evil, can I say, or just as corrupt as him, but I think often if you go out in the streets and talk to people, they have a concept of God, and they think there's a heaven and there's a hell, but they don't, somehow they think they're going to heaven, and I think a lot of that has to do with they've made up their own God, he's a God of their own imagination, they've created a God in their own image, and they have no problem with judgment day because their God is just like them lenient and uh, yeah so given the story and things like that what will be their terror on judgment day when they realize it's not the case <clears throat> I think too often even in our in my life and in our lives in general we can often not have a right view of God and that doesn't put the fear of God in us because we have a tendency, can I say, to bring God down to our level instead of looking at him for who he is. So the reason, uh, that is why one of the reasons when we're presenting the gospel, we need to show people who God is and then show people who they are and then contrast the two because when you do that there's no argument about salvation by works you can't have somebody say yeah I'll go to heaven because I haven't done anything really bad this study has uh, can I say revealed to me one of my greatest needs and probably I'd say a deep need in the church is teaching on the doctrines and attributes of God, because when we have, like I said earlier, when we have a right view of God, we have a, and a right view of ourselves. Um, it gives us a right understanding of what salvation really is. He's a God whose administration will never come to an end. A God who will never be voted out. And the same God that spoke the worlds into existence. <clears throat> Back to Romans three, or just Romans in general, I guess. Um, in Romans, kind of in the first couple chapters, we see Paul. Um, he's can can I say condemning multiple different groups. He condemns the Gentile, and then he can condemns the. Um, barbarian I think or I forget how he words it there but it's almost like he does all this and then it's almost like a a Jew comes along and says yeah that's right Paul you know but then Paul says turns on them and says woe to you and then he comes and we come to chapter three and it says everyone is condemned Uh, chapter three verse ten it is written there is none righteous no not one And in saying that, he is setting up the argument that when man gets a true look at God and a true look at himself, he gives him only two options. Either he's condemned without hope, or else God has made a way. Because it's only through God that we can have that access. So either, either it's God has done everything, or there's no hope at all. So in closing, I'd like to go to Hebrews 11. And then jump back to Romans 4 a little bit right at the end. Hebrews 11, verse 1, and then I'll jump down to 8 and read through 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 8. By faith Abraham... through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised <clears throat> That's looking at Abraham and Sarah's faith and then going back to Romans 4 it talks about Abraham again starting in verse 17 as is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, speaking of Abraham, before him whom I believed, even God, who quickened, quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as they were, as though they were. Here, Paul is talking um, about Abraham, but he's also talking about the character and work of God. Um... Even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who is this God that has revealed himself to us? He is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. He created the universe and he gives life. Who, against hope, believeth in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be hope against hope. There's no physical human reason for Abraham to believe that he would have the son of promise and that he'd be the father of many nations. It was purely an act of faith. And I think, going back to that little excerpt I read out of Hebrews, we can see that Abraham lived a life of faith. It says when he was I forget how it words it, but uh, when God told him to go, he went. And um, so we see that can I say a life of faith in his life um, he was living it out practically he believed God going back to where we started at with Adam and Eve um, God said if you eat the tr- eat of the tree you will die um, that was they had, they had to go on faith they had to believe God for what he said and they had to trust his character just like Abraham had to <clears throat> God tells Abraham you're not only going to be a father but a father of many nations but Abraham had no evidence or reason to believe it except that God had spoken it and except, he, or, and for, except for the fact that he knew God's character he had a relationship with God and he could trust him he had faith. Verse 19, and being not weak, right there it says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Not only was there no evidence, but there was evidence to the contrary. He looked at himself and Sarah, and he's like, this is, imp-. he could have looked at himself, I should say, and said, this is impossible. There is no way this is going to happen. But then in the next verse it says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Instead of looking at the circumstances around him, or at what he could see with his physical eyes, he actually gave glory to God. And being fully persuaded... That what he had promised, he was able also to perform. I think that goes back to Abraham knowing God's character. Because he said, being fully persuaded that he had promised, he was able also to perform. He knew that God, if God said it, it would be done. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Because of his faith, God says he was righteous. Righteous. Now it was not for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who is who was delivered for, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. If we have the faith, if we have faith alone in God, and we don't, can I say, get hung up on things that we see with our own eyes, or if we truly understand God's character and truly see ourselves in the light of who God is, um, I think that builds our faith. Because when we believe Him and believe His Word, He has said we can have remissions of sin through His Son. <clears throat> and it says. Uh, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So we need to have the faith of Abraham that we, but to have faith, I think we also need to know our God and know who he is and what he has done.